Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. We're so glad to see all of you here today. My name is Adam. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to do so after the service. Our whole purpose in being here is to love God, love others, help people find and follow Jesus. And today we're going to talk about something that is very important in that process, but can be very, very tricky. So you guys please pray for me. If there's one thing in my life that I think has brought me a tremendous amount of joy and opportunity, and yet at the same time brought me tremendous levels of stress and anxiety. It's caused me to say yes to some opportunities, maybe that were less than great opportunities. It's caused me to say no to opportunities that would have been great opportunities. It's put strain on relationships if there's one thing in our life, all of our lives, that can be a huge issue, it's money. And I just said the M word, and you're at church, and I'm a pastor, so some of you immediately just went into triggered mode, and your lips started to snarl, and you're like, here comes the pastor talking about money. That's all they care about, right? And I'll take it a step further even, full disclosure here, I am paid by the church. And so you could look at this and go, you've really got some ulterior motives here talking about money. And I will say this, the Bible itself has a lot to say about money. Jesus himself has a lot to say about money. He talked more actually about money than he did a lot of the other things that we think are really important to our Christian faith and that says to me that it's all important to our Christian faith, our worship, our prayer, and also how we handle our money. But if you're here today and you're thinking, well, Adam's here to get in my pocketbook, you're in the wrong church. That's not my, uh, my motive at all today. If you're here today and you think Adam is going to tell us that in order to be blessed, God wants us all to be rich you're at the wrong church. I'm not going to say that either. If you're here today and you're thinking that Adam's going to say, well, in order for us to be close to God, we need to be poor and free from everything that has to do with money. You're in the wrong church. I'm not going to say that either. I will say it's not a sin to have money. I will also say you are not any farther from God if you don't have money. What it all comes down to, it's not a money issue when we talk about money, it's a heart issue. Now, you may have faced situations in your life where you've felt manipulated when it comes to money, whether we're talking about relationships, friendships, whether we're talking about employers or employees, or maybe even you felt that way in your faith context, your church setting. People you know that are, are believers and you have felt some degree of manipulation. And we are adamantly, as a church community, trying to avoid that. We never want you to feel manipulated. Even when we talk about ways that you can give, our intent is never that you would feel manipulated. Because I think if you've been in that place, you've also been in the place where you've had relationships that have been good relationships that due to financial issues for one reason or another, those relationships has, have deteriorated. One of the number one problems in marriages today is finances and the stress that it puts on marriages. Relationships with our kids 
our finances can be a tremendous issue. Maybe you've even had really good friends throughout your life. You've needed to borrow some money. They've needed to borrow some money. And all of a sudden, there's this really awkward situation. I can say no, and then it puts us at a place where it's just not the same anymore. Or I could say yes, and then we're in an awkward place because now you owe me. And finances can do some really tricky things to us. Even when we talk about your future, where you're going to move, maybe potential employment that you would have, finances play a huge role in what you're going to say yes to and what you will say no to. And the bigger the finances get, the dicier it gets, right? The more the situation really causes us to go, okay, what do I need to do here? God, what do you want me to do here? Maybe you faced a situation like this. For whatever reason, you've had a good week, a good month, and you're a little bit ahead in your finances. You got a little skip in your step because you're like, man, this feels great. I got a bonus. I got an extra commission, whatever. And it feels really good. And then your AC goes out or your car breaks down. And every bit of what you were just ahead, now you are even more behind. And you're like, why, God? Why does this always happen to me? You could also look at it and go, well, God provided for that situation. Finances can make things really tricky. I'm not even going to get into medical bills. Some of you have felt that stress before. But sometimes there's just more month than there is money in the bank. Some of you are very familiar with that. We've all been there at some point in our life. Money itself is not spiritual. Jesus knows this, but he also knows that everything in our lives can be affected by money. The way that you see yourself, if you're not able to provide for your family, has a tremendous impact. Interact with others. Finances play a huge role in that. How we interact with God and see God and how we see God's mission, which is the church. The church should be carrying out God's mission all around the world and locally and being the body of Christ. So when we talk about money, it affects all of these things. We just wrapped up this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And there was one particular part, Jesus talks a few times in the Sermon on the Mount about finances. But there was one particular part in Matthew chapter 6 that really stood out to me. I'm going to read a portion of it here. It's not going to be up on the screens, but it's Matthew 6, some verses between 19 and 24. It says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He goes on in verse 21, first part of 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. And Jesus says, you want to know where your heart is? It's real easy to check. It's what you treasure. So what is it in life that we're treasuring? He goes on in verse 24 and says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in case you're wondering which masters he's talking about here, he gets specific. He says, you can't serve both God and money. This is a message about our hearts and what rules our hearts and guides our hearts and how easily our hearts can be led astray. Jesus says we can't serve both. He doesn't say we can't 
have both. It's not that you can't love God and still have money. You can have money and finances in your life and still let God be the Lord of your life and the Lord of your finances. It's really a question of what is your motivation? What is it that's leading you? And we can say in a general concept, well, of course it's God. But when finances get tight, when things get stressful, is it still God that is leading our decisions and our relationships? You see, many of us here today are believers. And if you're not a believer, uh, I want you to know you are always welcome here. As we discuss these things, if you want to continue to discuss them later, you know, you're seeking, you are always welcome in this place. But for those of you who are a believer, you would say, yeah, I believe in the gospel. I believe in forgiveness and redemption, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Father sent the, the Son to be our redemption and to pay for our sins. And most of you would definitely say, yeah, I believe all of that. And you would try to live it out. But when it comes down to our finances, we tend to compartmentalize and say, well, I believe all of this about the gospel, but when it comes to my money, I'm God. I make the decisions of how my money will be used, which makes us a financial atheist in many ways. We justify in our minds that as long as I'm spiritual, as long as I'm following God in all these other areas in my life, it's okay for me to be in charge of my finances. When Jesus is saying it's about our heart and I want all of it. You know, I found this great new app and the app helps me to be able to discern what people are really praying for as they pray. And so I entered some of your names in there this week, and some of you were praying about your finances, and it interpreted what your prayers look like, even my prayers. And so we've got a clip of that today, not to call you out, but this is how it's we often pray. It's my money, and I need it now. 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 It's your money. Use it when you need it. I don't know if there's ever been a more annoying commercial in all my life, but sometimes I wonder if God hears our prayers and he's just, <laughs> oh, sorry. If he's just like, oh, help these people. I'm trying to show you the path to what it means for financial security in your life and financial blessing, but it begins with trusting him. But yet it's so easy for us when it comes into our hands to grip it rather than saying, God, my hands are open. It's your money. It's all yours to begin with. And I trust you with it. If he's not the Lord of your finances, if he's not the Lord of my finances, I'm not really following him. I'm just partially following him. And I don't even know if that's possible. He wants to be Lord of everything, including our finances. He calls us to die to ourselves, to follow him. As I read through, we did this last series on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm more and more convinced that the crucified life that Jesus calls us to and the American dream are not compatible with one another. It's not to say that you can't have money and that it's a bad thing. 
But it all comes down to what is our pursuit and what is our motivation. So my goal today, our goal as a church, is just simply to ask God to give us some perspective. That he would help us to avoid the things that would destroy us, that would destroy our relationships, destroy our self-esteem, destroy us as a church. In the process of, uh, some of you know that we've been praying about a facility and an opportunity that God would give us. In the process of going through this, we've had to take a deep dive into all of our systems and our culture and even look at our finances as a church. And I was really convicted as I went through some of that process, just realizing we can do better. I can do better as a leader. Uh, purposefully, I have tried in the last three years to mention the M word money as little as possible because I know that it's, it's an issue for a lot of people to bring up money in church. But I need to say before you today, that I'm sorry because that is bad leadership on my part. To not mention, not discuss what the Bible has to say for fear of offending you, to not speak of what Jesus has to say in the Bible of one of the most important areas of our lives, and that's our finances, because it affects every single one of us. Just hoping that it's going to turn out okay as a church is not good leadership. And so I want to do better at helping you find and follow Jesus, which also includes our finances. He wants to be Lord of all. If he's not Lord of all, as the old saying goes, he's not Lord at all. That's much what Jesus is saying in this passage where he says, you cannot follow two masters. It can't be God and money. It's either God or it's money. So in the process of this, I hope that we can see that the way we use money can honor God and that we can trust God with what he has given us. My prayer is that he would be the Lord over all of our lives in every way. And in that, I pray that we will all be able to provide sufficiently for our families. Now, saving up for the future as well. I hope that as a church, we will be able to provide for our community, that we will be a source of life to our community, in the things that we do, the projects we do, the things that we're able to give towards as a church. And I also pray that we will truly be a church that's able to provide for those in need, as Jesus has called us to do. I pray that God would use us as a church, that we would be wise with every penny that we gather in. But if you think that this is all leading up to a big offering at the end of the service, you're off the hook. My goal is not to manipulate anybody in any way. It's not to line my pockets. It's not to fill up our bank account as a church. It's to say, God, would you come and you, would you speak to us? And I do want to say that just as far as our relationship as a church goes, and you as a member or a tender and giving, you need to be able to trust your church. And if we can't trust our church because our church doesn't operate with integrity and character, then we seriously need to pray about God. There's a problem here. Either the problem is with me and my relationship, or the problem is with my church, and maybe I need to pray about doing something different. But I want to tell you all, we are adamantly committed 
to honoring the Lord with every penny that comes our way, that we would use it to live out our mission, truly glorify God and be a blessing. And, and we don't hide what our finances are. And if you have questions about any of that, you're welcome to come talk to me or our finance team. And we'd love to answer any questions that you might have. So everybody take a deep breath. Relax. I'm going to repeat what Al said last week when he mentioned the offering. God does not need your money. The kingdom of God is not resting upon whether you put anything in the box today or not. The kingdom of God will go forward. But here's what we can already see from the text today. God wants your heart. And your heart and your money tend to run very closely together. Today is not about guilt. Today's just about saying, God, would you speak to us from your word? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I ask your Holy Spirit to help me as we talk about this, and I pray that your words would go forth and anything that's not of you would not stick. But Father, uh, that you would speak to all of our hearts and our minds today, Lord, that there would be no ulterior motives other than to ask you to be Lord over all of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a lavish place back in, in this time. It is the nice part of the country, right? There's a lot of wealth going on in there, and yet Paul is there talking to them about, hey, this is how you need to live. And in chapter 8, he talks to them about their responsibility with money. And he goes on in chapter 9 to even kind of say, but I don't even need to address this with you because you trust the Lord. Let's look at 9 verse 1. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for believers in Jerusalem. And he goes on to brag about their generosity. He's saying, because you give, and this is the time when the church is just spreading everywhere, and because what people are doing in Corinth, the church is able to flourish because they are providing in so many ways and giving to so many areas. And I love when I get a chance to tell somebody about Rock Hills Church because Rock Hills Church loves people who aren't even in Rock Hills Church. And we love to give towards things that can help people who just need help, whether that's local projects, whether that's ministries that we're giving towards, benevolence, helping out people in their time of need. We've been able to give towards all of those things. We support missionaries who are training missionaries and sending them out into the mission field. And so every time you guys give... It's making a difference here locally, here outside of these walls and inside these walls, as well as around the world. You guys even give each year towards our Honduras project. I've got a picture of uh, Honduras up here and some of our team that went this last year. I got to go and I got to say, it, I knew it was a great project. But being able to go on this changed everything for me because I not only saw this brings fresh water to a village that has never had fresh water before. I mean, we cannot even comprehend that, but that's just the beginning of it. This brings a message of hope in life to these people that was just absolutely amazing to see. And on top of that, it makes a difference in the life of every single one of the people who go and serve on this. So this is just one example, but when you give to this, you are changing multiple lives in so many ways. 
I say all that just to say, much like Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 9, I don't even know if I have to speak of giving because you guys give to so many things, but yet deeper level, there's our heart and God still wants to deal with our heart. And we need to ask ourselves, does God have our heart in all this? He goes on in verse six, it says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now you may have never farmed before in your life. Maybe you've never even been to a farm, but you can do this math here, right? If you only plant five seeds, you're only going to get so much. If you plant an entire field, what comes back is going to be much larger, right? Jesus explains in Luke chapter 6, the measure you use is the same measure that's going to be given back to you. It's a law of reaping and sowing. So when Jesus talks about giving to the second Corinthians church here, he's saying, what you give is in direct proportion to what I am going to be doing, the fruit that is going to be produced in your life. Now we think, oh man, that's kind of harsh, right? I mean, can I just get a little and get back a whole lot? Think about this. If you were God and you had unlimited resources to bless the earth, to bless humanity, but you were going to do it through people, would you select the people who are generous or the people who are stingy? You would select the generous people to say, here are my resources. Take and use these to bless humanity. We see the law of reaping and sowing play out in many areas. This one is in proportion to our giving. In John chapter 12, talks about a kernel of wheat that is sown produces a great harvest. It's more than just our money. It's our time, our talent, our treasure, our resources, our opportunities, our relationships. When we give God these things, he gives them back to us in proportion, sowing and reaping. It's applied to us in Luke chapter 9. It says the one who tries to save his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will gain the life that God has intended for him to have. When we sow our lives and say, God, you are Lord of my life, he gives us the life that he created for us. It's a mindset that God allows us to be something that is much bigger than we are. That God could take what little we have to offer, because really, what do we have to offer that's of any value to God? I mean, we don't have the resources that would impress God. We don't have the talent that would impress God. But when we say, God, it's yours, it's a mindset that God could use that for something beyond what we are capable of. It's most beautifully applied to Jesus himself. Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus sets aside heaven. He comes to earth, humbled himself as a man. He's on the cross. He's risen again. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus has sown his life to reap an eternal life for so many. So I want to give you just a few quick scriptural points on what the Bible gives us as far as guidance for money. The first one is this. We are to earn money ethically. 
Now, this should be obvious to all of us, right? I mean, this makes sense. But we all have to admit, money can make you do some crazy things. If the price is high enough, we all start to go, hmm, well, maybe, you know? Money can make us do some crazy things that make us justify things, cut some corners in our mind. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 says this, The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but He delights in accurate weights. In other words, we're supposed to do things with character and integrity. The message version, let me read that for you, says it like this, God hates cheating in the marketplace. He loves when business is above board. We're supposed to live with integrity. We don't promise more than we can do. We don't offer more than we can give. We charge what we said we would charge. We don't skim extra. We don't cut corners. We don't take things that aren't ours. Acts 20 verse 35 says this, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So it's this constant mindset of I want to live with character and integrity ethically in all that I do. The second thing is this. We are to spend money wisely. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. What kind of spender are you? Some of us are reactional spenders, right? Don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry if that's you, right? We can be reactional spenders. Some of us are researchers, right? Before we buy something, we're going to spend a whole year researching everything that we can to make sure that we're doing it wisely. Luke 16.10 says this, if you are faithful with in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest with the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. What God has given you, he's asking you to be wise with it. And if he sees that we can be wise with what he's given us, shows that we can be trusted. It doesn't just show God, it shows our employers, it shows our family we can be trusted with what has come our way. The next thing, Proverbs is full of such great wisdom. Avoid destructive debt. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Romans 13, 8 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Now, don't you wish you could trade all of your debt just for loving people? Right? Okay, no more school loans, no more car payment, no more mortgage. You just have to go out and be nice to people, right? You would all sign up in the lobby real quick for that one. Avoid no debt except for the debt of love. Now, I know that the majority of us in this room have debt. And strategically, financially speaking, there, there is some strategic wisdom in, in financing things. Here's what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about avoiding impulsive 
credit card debt where we're buying things that we cannot afford. The average American household spends much greater than 100% of their income every year. As a matter of fact, I looked up some stats. The average American household uh, per person, the average American person in a household adult has $9,300 worth of credit card debt each month. Now, that's a lot. I mean, and some of you may be thinking, oh, that's pretty good. I would take that real quick. And some of you are thinking, oh, man, I can't imagine having that much. But if we added that up, average attendance here for Rock Hills per adult, $9,300 per each of you, it comes out to a little shy of $2 million that just between us, we owe in credit card debt. Do you know what we could do with $2 million to reach our city, to serve the poor, to, to fund missionaries around the world? Obviously, the, it, it's unlimited what we could do. Well, I mean, it's got a $2 million limit, but beyond that, it's unlimited. <laughs> now, assuming, and this is a good credit card, right? Assuming there's 20% interest on the, our credit cards, just what we're paying in interest per year exceeds what our annual budget is as a church. Just what we're paying in interest. Now, there are those of you in the room that have come, whether you were taught as a child, which most of us weren't, or you've learned through the experience of life, you have come to a place in life where you no longer have credit card debt and you love it so much you can hardly contain it right now because you know what freedom it is just to be absolutely free of that debt. But that also means, given that there's some of us in this room that don't have credit card debt or pay it off each month, that means for some of us, our debt is much, much higher than $9,300, right? So just talking about impulsive debt, not, I'm not talking about your mortgage and things like that. We, uh, Dave Ramsey has a quote that I, I really like that says this, we spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like. Here's what I'm asking us to do that I believe is godly counsel. In regards to our spending, have patience, have discipline, and have self-control. The next thing that I believe God wants us to do as far as our finances is to save money consistently for our future. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food for harvest. He says even the ants understand this, even those pesky insects, right? God gives us the opportunity to provide for our families for a lifetime. But again, it takes patience, it takes discipline, and it takes self-control. But I believe it's godly wisdom that we set back proportionally that honors God for, for the future of your family. The next thing that I believe that God wants us to do, and this one's really important, is to give generously to those in need. Proverbs 19, 17 says this, Whoever is kind to the poor 
lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. What God has given us, remember, is not ours. And so we always need to be ready to say, God, how do you want me to give? Sometimes it's not directly finances. Sometimes that's not the wise thing to do. Even today, out in the, in the lobby, we've got an opportunity for you guys to give food to those who are in need of food. We'll continue doing that through next week. So if you'd like more information, you can step out there and, and see what that looks like. But we've got great opportunities all the time to give. Jeff, would you raise your hand real quick? If you have questions about that, see Jeff Rader right there, and he will answer all of your financial questions, whether it has to do with food or not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Someone told me years ago that generous people are the happiest people in the world. And I really believe that because their, their outlook on life isn't tied to their finances. Not only are they able to provide for themselves, but they're able to be a blessing to others. And if I were able to give all of you an envelope today with $1,000 in it, with one catch, you have to use all 1,000 of these dollars to go and do something kind for other people. You would be excited about that, but not only that, you would feel great about being able to do something kind for other people. So at this time, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward with the envelopes. Ah, we don't have ushers. If only we had ushers, I would have gone forward with that today. But since we don't have ushers, I just want you to think about that. That would feel great, wouldn't it? Generosity is not determined by your bank account. Generosity is determined by the gratefulness within your heart. It has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. You can all think of people who don't have much, but they're as generous as can be. You can think of people who have more than they could ever use in a lifetime and they aren't sharing a penny of it. Generosity has nothing to do with a bank account. It has to do with the gratefulness of our heart because it's not mine anyway. And lastly, I believe that God wants us to give to God's church to support God's mission. Don't panic yet if you're starting to panic. Malachi 3 verses 8 through 10 says this, Will not a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how am I robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out as much blessing that there can be, so there will not be room enough to store it. Now, let me just say I'm walking a tightrope here because that verse alone by itself is out of context. It's written to a certain group of people about a certain situation. But I believe the principle here is true in the general context of giving. That God says we are to support what he is doing in the world. And it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. You don't believe me? Try it. And I believe that when we say, God, I trust you with the time, the talent, the resources that you have given me. And I want to give to you, I believe in my life, I can only speak personally time and time and time and time, every time. I've seen it over and over and over. 
that God has provided as we have trusted him. I, I wondered as a young believer, why do people say 10% when they talk about tithe? And then I did some research and looked it up, only to realize that tithe means tenth. I mean, you can even see grammatically how those two words come from the same place. Tithe means tenth. Now, in the Old Testament, this was a strict rule. As a matter of fact, there were three tithes, Levitical, sacred tithe, tithe of the feast, tithe of the poor, which in a person's income would have likely added up to about 22%. You as a believer were required by the law to give. You had no option. And you see, when giving is that way, it takes the heart out of it. It's like paying taxes, right? I mean, none of you are overjoyed that you get to pay taxes. You just feel so good every time you, you pay for something that they take a little bit extra. It takes the heart out of it. And that's why it says in the New Testament, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. When we give, the mission of the church is missions, outreach. When you give, it helps the operations of the church here. Even I was talking to Gilbert today, who's over our setup. You can imagine every week we're loading carts in and out. And he said, man, I need to spend some money to fix up the carts. I'm like, go for it. We've got some budget for that. But when you give, you help all of those things happen so that we can do this, so that we can do what we do outside of here. There are so many things that we're working on as projects all to love God, love people, help people find and follow Jesus. Giving should always be thoughtful, generous, and voluntary. You give because you love God. It's part of your worship. Just like we don't make you sing, we don't make you give. But God is blessed when we worship and we say, God, I trust in you. 2 Corinthians 8 11 and 12 says this, Now you should finish what you started. Let eager, the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Our giving whether that's here at church, giving to the poor, giving to organizations. And we've got great organizations in our city, some of them even through people directly here at the church that are great organizations to give to. Our giving should never be manipulated, but it is a sacrifice, right? It's giving something up. And I believe true giving is found at the intersection of joy and sacrifice. There's a tremendous joy and being able to say, God, this is my worship, and I trust you. And it is a sacrifice. It hurts a little bit, but I can trust in God. Let me ask you this in closing. If you could give like you really wanted to give, I mean, it, it, there's no limit on what you have in your bank account. And you could say, this is what I would give to the church. Man, I'd give this to Hearts Need Art, and I'd give this to Among the Broken. And, and I, I would give this to the Ronald McDonald House. And I would give this to Hurricane Relief. Relief. If you could give like you want to give, what would that look like? 
It's there that we find, if we think that way, here's what generosity and joy would look like. If he can trust you with the little things, he can trust you with the big things. So that's what we would do if we were unlimited. How should you respond to God with our finances? Providing for your family, saving for your future, being ethical in all that we do, living with character and integrity. How should we respond to God with what we have today? How can we trust Him? 2 Corinthians 9, 8-10 says this, And God will generously provide all you need, Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As scripture says, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would be a people, that we would be a church that realize what we have, even this very breath that we take, Father, it's not from us, it's from you. Father, we're not here to be financial atheists, but we're here to say, God, we trust in you with even our finances. I pray, as the scripture says, Lord, that we would be people who share freely, give generously to the poor, and Father, that what you do through the people here at Rock Hills Church would be remembered, that you would be glorified, for you are the one who provides. You provide for us, you provide for our church, you provide enough that we can be generous with others. And in that, Father, The measure that we give is the measure that we will receive. God, would you help us to be generous people who live with open hands? And Lord, that we would trust you with our finances. Would you help us when it's hard to trust that we could live with integrity and character in all that we do? Father, as we think of giving, there's no greater gift And as it says in John 3, 16, for you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son that we could reap the benefit and have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to us and for us that we might know you. Lord, there may be people here today that just need to trust you with their heart. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made, that we could be yours. Would you take just a moment, and in wherever your life is at, would you ask God to help you trust him? Maybe that's trusting him with your life completely. Maybe that's trusting him with your time, your talent, your finances. Would you ask God for help where you need help? Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray that not a single person in this room today or listening to this recording later would feel manipulated. 
But Father, that we would find the joy of trusting in you. And Father, we leave the results to you as a church, as individuals. Father, the results, the harvest are in your hand. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.